Holy Gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ according to St. John. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus came to a Samaritan city called Sychar near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks, who drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to Jesus, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Just then his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman. But no one said, what do you want, or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people there, come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Surely no one has brought him something to eat. 
Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. Do you not say four months more, then comes the harvest? But I tell you, look around you and see how the fields are ripe for harvesting. The reaper is already receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I have ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this truly is the Savior of the world. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise you, may be seated. <clears throat> if you are wondering whether that is the longest lectionary reading in the Bible, you would be right. <laughs> it is. So thank you for bearing with me, and I hope that you find it as beautifully engaging as I do. So let's talk about it for a moment. But first, let me give you a little bit of background. Exactly nine years ago this month, my dear wife Pat and I visited the Holy Land for the first time. One of the most meaningful parts of the trip was the experience of just being in the very same places where Jesus had been. We visited Nazareth, the utter, utterly nondescript town where Jesus was raised as a little boy, and before that, where the archangel Gabriel greeted both Joseph and Mary to announce his arrival. We traveled to Bethlehem and tried to imagine the location of the manger scene in the fields of shepherds and angels off in the distance. We walked along the Sea of Galilee, where the brothers Peter and Andrew and James and John were called to be disciples. We toured the ruins of the synagogue in Capernaum, where Jesus taught. We climbed the Mount of Beatitudes, from where Jesus is believed to have preached the Sermon on the Mount. We waded into the Jordan River, letting its water run through our fingers, just so we could touch the same living water into which Jesus himself was immersed. Being in these various places, experiencing their sights, smells, and sounds, has reframed these pivotal biblical stories for me in profound ways. But one place that we did not get to visit was Sychar, the home of Jacob's well and the scene of today's gospel story. Sychar, today known as Nablus, is a small town about 40 miles north of Jerusalem in the region of Samaria in what is now known as the occupied territories of the West Bank. 
As our group was traveling from the shores of the Galilee south toward Jerusalem, I asked our Israeli tour guide about whether we were going to stop at Jacob's well. No, Danny said, that is not an easy place for us to see. Why not? I asked innocently. It appears to be only a few miles off the main road. The ancient town of Sychar, Danny explained to us, is now one of the areas controlled by the Palestinian Authority, and the Israeli government won't allow its citizens, even tour guides, to travel there. He explained that we, as American citizens, could visit, but that we would have to stop at the border crossing and then hire our own Palestinian guide to take us from there to the monastery that now houses the well. Danny further explained that the ta that town has been the site of a lot of violence between Israelis and Palestinians, both then and now, if you've been reading the papers, and that it isn't the safest of places. And so we just passed on by, not wanting to take that risk. Now, Danny's decision to skip this holy site out of concern for his guests' well-being was an understandable one and probably a prudent choice. But as I sat on the bus continuing our journey toward Jerusalem, I couldn't help but feel the intense irony of the situation. Some 2,000 years ago, when Jesus traveled between Galilee and Jerusalem, this region of Samaria was every bit as dangerous a place as it is now. And yet, as John tells us in our gospel story, when Jesus was making this same journey, he chooses to stop in this risky place, even though the Samaritans and Jews of his day were just as wary of one another as Palestinians and Jews are today. And not only does Jesus enter this Samaritan town, but he goes to its very heart, the well in the center of town, and he sits there in the noonday sun. If we didn't know better, it would seem as if Jesus is looking for trouble, daring some Samaritan boys from town to heckle this wandering rabbi, apparently so far from home. But instead, Jesus is approached not by a gang of Samaritan boys, but by a lone woman who seems to match Jesus' courage by coming toward him in plain public view, even though the moral standards of the day prohibited a woman from engaging so publicly with a man to whom she is not related. Perhaps she thinks she has nothing to lose. She is, after all, a woman with a complicated history. But then again, perhaps she is drawn to Jesus because she senses on some deep level that he is different from other strangers wandering into town. But for whatever reason, she comes forward. And as she does, Jesus asks for a drink. Surprised, the Samaritan woman immediately recognizes the social boundaries designed to keep her in her place, saying to Jesus, how can you, a Jew, even be talking to me, a Samaritan woman, much less be asking me for a drink? When Jesus responds somewhat opaquely, 
that she does not know to whom she is talking, and that he is himself a source of living water, the woman doesn't back down, but instead challenges Jesus. Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? She yearns to understand who he is and what he is claiming. And that is when Jesus opens himself to her, sharing the good news of his life-giving presence. Everyone who drinks of this well water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water I have to offer will never be thirsty. The water that I give will become in you a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. I can see her scratching her head. It is no accident, of course, in John's Gospel that this story comes immediately after Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus over the meaning of baptism and the purifying power of being bathed in the living waters of the Spirit. The Samaritan woman comes to this well in the middle of town thinking that it will quench her body's thirst for water, but Jesus wants to offer her water from another source, a water that will fill her spirit rather than her belly. She bravely accepts this offer, saying, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty again. And as she opens herself to Jesus in faith, her whole previous identity comes spilling forth. This woman with five prior husbands, who is now with a man to whom she is not married. In dialogue with Jesus, she acknowledges the emptiness of her past and expresses a desire to find that which will give her life meaning. But notice this. Although Jesus knows everything about this woman's past, as indeed he knows each of us, and the secrets we seek to hide, there is no mention of sin or sinfulness in this text, or even a gentle insistence that she change her life. Jesus shows no interest in judging her. He only wants to know her and to offer her his life-giving spirit. And this she gladly accepts. The Samaritan woman demonstrates what can happen when we take the risk of encountering Jesus, when we approach him with our deepest questions, fears, desires, hopes. This woman by the well shows us that the life of faith, like the life of prayer, thrives on honest dialogue with God, and that it is in such vulnerable and real conversation that true growth and change she teaches us that faith is about questioning, not about having all the answers. Indeed, if we think we have all the answers, if we are content with our own clever doctrinal formulations and pious practices, if we believe more in our own conviction than the possibility of revelation, it is then that we are at the greatest risk of fooling ourselves. God comes to us in our seeking when we strip ourselves of pretense and false piety 
and are willing just to express our truest and simplest desires. Lord, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty again. But notice this too. The Samaritan woman doesn't stop there, content with having been known and accepted and nourished by this holy man. Even though she is not yet certain that he is the Messiah, she leaves her water jar by the well and runs into town so that she might share the news of this life-giving encounter with all of her townspeople. And she does so at great risk, this shunned woman, so eager now to share this good news. And John tells us, they come to believe because of her testimony. Think of Mary Magdalene at the empty tomb, who encounters the risen Christ and then runs to tell the male disciples. This unnamed woman from Samaria is in so many ways a model of what the church should look like what real disciples should look like, unpretentious, courageous, questioning, vulnerable, trusting, and a humble witness to the good news of God in Christ. I have very few regrets from our trip to the Holy Land nine years ago, but one small one is that I did not summon the courage that day as our bus was making its way from Galilee to Jerusalem to say to Danny, our tour guide, I know it might be risky, but why don't you just drop us off at Sychar? Let us cross over all the borders and boundaries we broken people have erected around this holy place and see if we might not find this well of living water on our own. Who knows what or whom we may have discovered there. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Holy Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Newington, New Hampshire, part of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. You can find us at htelc.com and don't forget you are loved.